Hi, welcome to Folks Podcast. I'm Tess Falgren, and today I'm going to talk to Ellen Smith about a woman named Mary Wells. Um, Mary was born to a Grovant mom and a white father in the time in American history when Native American children were being actively assimilated into white culture. Um, so we're, we're going to talk about her. She's a really remarkable person and a lot of her story is intact. So, um, it was really fun learning about her and talking about, about the history. And Ellen and I ended up talking about lots of different things. Um, Ellen, Ellen and I went to school together and we met in American literature class. And honestly, I don't think I ever told her this, but she was just the smartest person in the class, and I was always just in awe of her. Um, now what she does is uh, teach uh, financial literacy to kids and um, help help kids get scholarships for college and things like that, which I think is really admirable and amazing. Um, so that's, a, that's who I'm talking with today, Ellen. She's great. And I'm actually recording my intros and outros in a little a little um, improvised recording studio. Um, I think it's a... I'm not exactly sure what this little room is called. It's like where probably Harry Potter lived, um, but it's in an attic. It's very small. The, the door is about three and a half feet tall. And I crawled in here and I'm sitting on the ground because I'm staying in a little apartment in Butte, Montana for the week um, as part of the writing uh, Mining City Writers Project um, in Butte. It's pretty, it's this really, really cool project that I've been um, invited to take part in this week and I'm having a really good time. Butte is, is a treasure. Butte's a treasure in this state and everyone should be watching out for all the cool things that are happening here and are going to continue to happen here. I love it. Okay, well, um, thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoy. I'm just gonna get going because I've been like okay. I've been like swimming around in this like information for a little while now. Okay, so um, today's episode. Well, first of all, what's your name? What's your full name? My full name, <laughs> uh, Ellen Marie Smith. Ellen Marie Smith, formerly known as Ellen Kolf. Yeah, that's how I knew you. I don't think we've actually hung out since you've been married. That's possible because I think I moved away. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking about the timing. I think that was before I got married. Yeah, and then I yeah. got to Nashville and I was like, oh, there's some nice pictures of Ellen. Looking so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all alone in Nashville. <laughs> um, okay, well, I want to talk to you more about that, but maybe not okay. while we're being no, recorded. No. Um, okay, so today's episode is about Mary Wells. Um, so James Wells was her dad. And, like, the thing about Mary Wells is... She is not that, like, she's not vital to Montana history, right? She's not, like, she didn't really change anything, but she is um, the outcome of a lot of really sad um, decisions and policies that were made by the American government at the time. Um, So, and the reason that she's kind of important is because her dad, James Wells, was a traitor, like a really traitor with a D, 
Not like a gotcha. traitor to the United States. Tra- tradesman or something? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's the wrong word, too. So, <laughs> yeah. so he, he, like, um, James was, there's a whole book about James Wells by the guy who wrote um, the book about Mary Wells. His name is James Franks. And he is actually Mary Wells' grandson. Yeah, so he was doing research on James Wells and, um, like, learning all this stuff about James Wells and then in the process learned a bunch about his grandmother and was like, this lady was super cool. I should write a book about her, too. That's awesome. Yeah, so this this book, Mary Wells by James A. Franks, is pretty amazing. I'm actually really happy with it. Um, And it's kind of funny because there's a lot of he takes a lot of liberties with, like, dialogue, you know? And so there's... I don't know what they said, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah, exactly. There's this one part I'll get to where it's like, she didn't say that. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That is not a sentence that any human has, like, said out loud ever. But anyway. um, Okay, so James Wells uh, came to Montana in 1860 with his brother, and he ended up marrying um, a Grovant woman um named maggie so do you know what grovant is not really i mean i know that's related to a native tribe that would not describe themselves that way right exactly so <laughs> the original their um their name for themselves is like Ananin or something that i cannot um actually pronounce at all um but in the they are now situated on the fort belknap reservation which is um basically on the highline north central montana okay um but, so, Maggie, Maggie, um, was Grovant, and she, um, was, she, like, was a doctor for James Wells while he was, like, he was sick, and his brother, like, dropped him off with this Grovant tribe, and left with, and, like, traded with them, gave them a bunch of blankets and stuff to be, like, take care of my brother, and then took off, and so, James ended up living with that tribe for a while, and it's, like, I mean... Who knows the true story? The way that it's told is that it was like a fairy tale and they <laughs> fell in love, right? And then he asked for her hand in marriage and did all the like the necessary traditions for them and for their people and mm-hmm. um, apparently went through it very respectfully and was like a really amazing husband to her, which is really sweet. Oh, yeah. That's lovely. I know. And like did all, did all the necessary things, um, asked for a hand in marriage from her dad, who was the chief, and... Um, left, and apparently, I mean, it says that the chief was like, he's never going to come back, and then he did, and brought all the necessary things. He wasn't Catholic, but they were, so he brought a priest and was able to get married that way. Um, and then he took Maggie, his new wife, to the Judith trading post, which is what, that's kind of why he's important to Montana history, is because he, um... He developed the Judith Trading Post under T.C. Power. Okay. Okay, so this is, like, all sorts of, like, Montana history that I'm, like... It's good, because (laughs) I grew up in Maryland and don't know Montana history. And, in fact, um, I... I mean, I knew that there were Native Americans, Uh but I had not met any until I came to Montana. Like, the the whole concept of the vanishing Indian, it, it was kind of a reality yeah. There. Um, and so when I came here and I was, you know, studying teacher education and there was, you know, 
Indian education for all. I was like, what is this? And yeah. I, oh my gosh, I feel so undereducated in this area. Cool. And, I mean, not cool, um, but like, this is exciting no, it's, to be able to talk about it. It is. It's good. It's interesting. And I, um, I appreciate so much being able to learn about these things. Um, so here's something really cool that I think you might appreciate. So if you Google Essential Understandings IFA, it'll do, it'll bring you to Essential Understandings regarding Montana Indians. And there's all of this information about basically like the essential understandings that you need to have before you like talk about Native Americans with students. Yeah. And it's so helpful. It's so helpful. And I just learned so much. Um, so one of the really interesting things about it is the way that we teach um, these different periods of... Um, right. Right, yeah, the different periods of, like, Native American history, basically, in yeah. relation to Western civilization. So um, is that Western civilization? I don't know if that's the right way to put that, yeah. but colonization might be the more accurate way to put it. Um, okay, so, then th- so there's these different periods, colonization, colonial period, um, treaty period, and then the assimilation period, which right. is the allotment and the boarding school period. And the indoctrination. The indoctrination <laughs> period. Yeah, exactly. 1879 to 1934. Um, and that's when Mary was born. Mary Wells, our hero, heroine. Um, so, okay, let's go back to James um, and T.C. Power. So, T.C. Power was, I mean, like a mogul basically like he owned a ton of stuff he kind of like industrialized montana um and owned a lot of the trading posts around the state so james who's a good guy you know in the writing of this book he's a good guy and he says hey tc power um i think that there should be a trading post in the judith basin because it's like the perfect location it means we could if we put one there we can get supplies a year, oh, I'm sorry, a month earlier in the spring and a month later in the fall. And so he does that. He gets the post, the trading post, and he also, like, starts a ranch there. He buys a bunch of cattle and creates this, like, amazing trading post in Judith. Um, and that's where he lives with Maggie. And they have, like, a kid or two there. Um, and then James, no, I think they have all five of their kids. They have three sons and two daughters. Um, and then... James gets sick. He has pneumonia. Dun, dun, dun. Everyone that gets pneumonia in this story. Like, literally, I mean... I mean, it is Montana, though. It's true. <laughs> yeah, well, it's to so funny. Because they keep being like, you need to move for your health to where it's drier. And it's like, you're already in eastern Montana. Like, where, Jeez, where, what, where is drier? <laughs> yeah, I know. I think that they were... I don't, whatever. But, um... Okay, so he gets sick. And he decides, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to move to Judith Gap. No, not Judith Gap, sorry. I'm going to move to Fort Benton, um, and we're going to get a house, and I'm going to put my my wife in this house and all five of our kids, and they're going to have a happy life. And I'm going to um, set them up so that they can be there forever, right? And, like, Mary, Mary Wells is the oldest daughter. She's the, I think she's the third in line, um, kid-wise or whatever, and... She's really close with her mom. She's learning all of her mom's um, traditions and culture, and she spends the summers with her family, with the Grovant. In oh, that's the, awesome. Yeah, so she, like, spends the summer in their teepees and um, is really getting, like, the best of both worlds, you know. And um, that's really important to their family dynamic is to have both. 
Um, and then they send her to St. Peter's Mission um, the first year that it opens in 1884. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, I just kind of assumed, like, that as a mission, well, I know that, you know, most of them adopted some serious assimilation. Yes. I don't want to call them tactics, but, um, you know, and so I, it never occurred to me that someone would kind of voluntarily send their children there. Right. Okay, so that's the thing. So, um, the mission, okay, so now we're going to talk a little bit about the nuns. So, Mother Amadeus, you remember her from the Mother, from yes. the Mary Fields episode. So, she, um, came over from Toledo with five other nuns. They landed in Mile City in 1884, and, um, it was January 18th. I know that because that's also my birthday, so <laughs> I was like, holy crap, my mom's going to be so happy. The first nuns ever in Montana landed on my birthday, and they didn't have anywhere to go. Like, they didn't have a place to stay. They stayed in this, like, boarding house with a dirty bed. They slept, they, like, sat on the floor, like, all night long, and... Anyway, weren't really taken care of. No one was, like, worried about the nuns, you know? Um, it's the whole story. It's interesting. Um, I That's in More Than Petticoats, Remarkable Montana Women by Gail Shirley. Pretty good little book. Um, anyway, so Mother Amadeus started St. LeBray Mission, which is on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation. Okay. And it's actually still open. It's the, oh, wow. no, yeah, it's St. LeBray Indian Catholic School now. And it's honestly very cool. I was just there, actually. I did, I went there for my job. No way. Yeah, and it's, like, super healthy. They have an amazing art, um, art program. Like, their art teacher was so impressive to me, and, like, they just are really talented. Like, every kid was talented. It was amazing. (laughs) I was so impressed. Um, so that school is still going, um, and then they, she started... A bunch of schools. She started eight missions in Montana between 1884 and 1892. Yeah, so it's St. LeBray, St. Peter's, which is where Mary was, and that's in Cascade, Montana. Um, St. Paul, St. Francis Xavier, St. Ignatius, right? Right. Um, Holy Family in Browning, St. Charles in Pryor, St. John Buchanan in Arlie. So she started all eight of those missions. Um, Yeah, and like... It just shows... Okay, we'll, we'll get to that. But anyway, so it's 1884. They don't really know that sending their native kids to the mission is going to, like, do something bad. Gotcha. You know what right. I mean? And also, Mary and her siblings are the son... Are the children of this wealthy man. Right. Um, and they're, like, healthy and well taken care of. So he sends the kids to, um, to St. Peter's, and their first year is great. Well, and did you say that Maggie's Catholic? Yeah, Maggie was Catholic. Interesting, okay. Because they had, um, there were, oh, what are they called? The brothers were here. Um, the right. Jes- Jesuit the priests Jesuits. Yeah. were. Okay. And there's also this other thing about how um, the government, like, assigned different tribes different religions, and they were like, okay, you can have this one, and wow. you can have this one. and That's because. Bizarre. Yeah, because they knew that it was like, if we change your religion, we'll change you as people, and we can, like, stamp this whole problem out. (sighs) 
Yeah. It's just really painful and not what religion is for. I know, right? Sorry. Yeah, Maggie and James send their kids to St. Peter's Mission. The first year is great. And um, they meet Mary Fields, the woman from the last episode, and they have a, like, they love her, you know? She um, sounds like a lovable character. Yeah, I know. She's amazing. Funky, crazy woman. <laughs> yeah. And I get even more stories in this book, which is perfect. Um, so... Yeah, and so then the first year is great. Second year, so here's what happens. <laughs> James is like, hey, TC Power and John Power, they're brothers. And he says to them, all right, guys, I'm going to sell my shares of the company. I'm going to um, take all of my assets. And since my wife Maggie can't um, own property... Because I'm not sure if it's more because she's Native American or more because she's a woman. <laughs> you know, either yeah. way. It's right. pretty awful. <laughs> yeah. So he, she can't own property. So I'm going to give it all. Uh, I'm going to let you guys be in control. So you're in charge of just making sure that Maggie and my kids are doing good here in, in Fort Bend. I'm starting to really hope these power students are okay people. Yeah. And so <laughs> what happens is James dies over Christmas break and literally... Um, John and TC are like, okay, Maggie, um, you have a week to leave and we're going to send all your kids to St. Peter's. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Does that just like break your heart? Oh my God, it's so sad. Um, so they send Maggie to the Grovant Reservation, um, which like, according to the book, like was not doing well. Um, and they... Just send her up there with, like, a wagon and what she could carry. And the um, the kids, similar situation, they were just, like, it describes them as, like, um, carrying all the toys. Like, oh, just carrying the things they could carry, you oh. know. And Maggie's mo- or Mary's mom gave her, like, a silver um, buttonhole maker and a silver napkin ring wrapped in a scarf. Oh. That was, like, what she gave her when she left. And uh, they were, like... Bye. I and know this is random, but it makes me think of like foster children who put all their belongings in like a trash bag and then oh they're just off to well, wherever. It's, it's not that random, you know, because it's basically it's really similar of this like. Well, it's I mean it's different because this is like totally unwarranted, you know. But it's like this idea of like we're gonna put you in a better place because we decided it's better, yeah. you know. And the powers. John is the one that is more of a character in Mary's life. John Powers is like, he thinks he's doing the right thing. They like, yeah. they're so, their opinions are so twisted that they, they really have like the best intentions. I mean, yeah, we have to think about the culture they yeah. were raised in and they ha- had these particular worldviews that no one challenged. So yeah, no one, cause no one was more powerful than them. You know, yeah. like, if someone challenges, like, doesn't matter because those were the richest men in Montana, you know? So, yeah. So they sent Mary and her siblings back to St. Peter's, and now that Mary was no longer the daughter of a wealthy man, he, she was, like, put in the separate dorms that were meant for the Native American children, mm-hmm. and they were, like, much worse. Um, and her daughter, or her little sister, Emma was with her as well. And I think Emma was like three or four years old and Mary was only like six or seven. Um, and 
Emma wasn't old enough to go to school, but she was, like, taken away from her mom, and the powers were, like... Oh, goodness. Yeah, they were, like, we don't care. She's old enough. Um, And sent her to St. Peter's. So, Mary was basically taking care of Emma all the time. She had Emma with her, like, in every class that she was in. And then also was, like, helping teach the other kids, because she had a good education. Um, And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's where we... That's where Mary's life is at, I guess, at, like, age six or seven. <laughs> yeah. That's a hard place to start. Isn't that so sad? It's, like... <sighs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay, so that's Mary Wells' beginnings. And she's, like... She's, you know, she's described as, like, a strong, beautiful woman, you know, for the rest of her life, basically. Um, so Mary Fields... She becomes Mary's, um, her, like, surrogate mom for the rest of her life. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and the cool thing about this book, I should say, because so much of this is, like, how can you possibly know that, you know, is, um, so this guy, the author, James Franks, his grandfather was still alive when he wrote the book. So he was actually being, he was able to get primary source material from Mary Wells's husband. Wow. About all this stuff. And we'll meet him later, And but he was also at the at the mission. So he okay. also knew Mary Fields and all of that. Um, so a lot of this stuff, it's like, you can kind of pick through and decide what's probably believable, like, what's a little bit more trustworthy, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's what I would say, is, I mean, the, the idea that Mary was her surrogate mom, I think we can trust. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Um... So, as soon as she got back to the mission, she, they cut her hair off entirely, mm-hmm. of course, and bathed her in sheep dip, which is like a sheep disinfectant. What? Oh, heavens. Yeah. It said that that's what all the Native American kids had to do. Um, and when they took her into the dorm, a couple of the other girls, it was, so it was Blackfoot and Grovant, mm-hmm. and I think Mary and her siblings were like the only Grovant kids, and so they couldn't, like, communicate with the Blackfoot kids, but they weren't supposed to speak their own language anyway. Right. Um, but there was also a divide there, of course. And then also, Mary and her siblings weren't pure, right? They weren't, like, a pure blood or whatever. Like, how gross right. that feels to say. But that was, like, a big thing that, like, followed her through her whole life was she's a half-breed. So, like, she was, like, not accepted by, like, either... Either side. Yeah. Um, but so, like, the nuns would call her, like, very white Indian. You know, but she, like, was living in the dorm, in that, like, the worst dorm and all this, you know, and just not able to, like, really be on either side at all. Um, That's so hard. Yeah. Especially when she started out in a family that Mm -hmm. so valued both cultures. Yeah. To then go to a place where neither of them kind of accept her. And there is this thing that is mentioned a few times. I think it, we can trust it. Um, when she, like, first got into that dorm, two of the Blackfoot girls were speaking in their language, and they got, like, slapped by the nun and, like, told, you know, stop that, blah, blah, And, um, Mary had never seen an adult hit a child before. And was just like, what is this? You know, um, was taught always that children and adults need to be treated with the same amount of respect, etc., that's a beautiful thing. Right? Like, I know. Not even 
all families now have. Well, so, yeah. I know. It's actually pretty rare. It's super rare. I think even myself, I'm like, it's a different kind of respect. But you don't think about, like, respecting your, like, my, like, nephew. I'm not like, I'm going to treat you with, like, as much respect as I would treat my brother. You know, you know? I, my cousin was posting something about parenting, and mm-hmm. um, and she was talking about how, you know, we'll walk into a room with kids and say, you know, oh, hey, it's time to go. Let's go right now and expect them to just drop what they're doing and we get upset if they don't mm-hmm. when we would never do that to an adult. Yeah. Like, we would let them finish at least give them a few minutes to finish whatever yeah. it is and then ask them or, you know, and it, we just have this different attitude toward, well, children need to be to do things that adults wouldn't even do. Yeah. Um, I know, you know, it's funny too. This is, this is pretty off topic, I guess, but like, sorry. No, no, <laughs> that's the, why we have people to talk to. Uh, um, in that podcast I was telling you about the, my favorite murder podcast, they were talking about, one of the women was talking about her mom teaching her that um, not all adults are authority figures. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, even hearing that, like, this year, I was like, that's not true. Because I was definitely taught, like, anybody older than you, you do what they tell you to do. But the way that this, the way that she was talking about it in the podcast was like, that's how people get kidnapped. You know, like, that's how, like, yeah. murder happens is because you think this adult is in charge of me because they're an adult. Mm-hmm. When really what it is is, like, if someone's treating you with respect and you know them and blah, 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 then maybe you can trust them. But you don't just, yeah. like, blindly trust any yeah. any adult around you. It's kind of the yeah. same idea as Stranger Danger, but, like, more, like, realistic well, or something. Well, another thing, um, and I don't remember who's in the same post or what, but... Uh, she was talking about sometimes we like make our kids um, like hug a relative or somebody like oh go give someone so hug or whatever mm-hmm. or and if they don't want to we shouldn't make them because it makes them think that they like have to give physical affection that's asked of them yes and that they totally. can't just say I'm not comfortable or we can even see that they just don't want to like they're mm-hmm. they're little they're shy they don't want to hug you yeah. get over it yeah um, I know. I know. You should listen. We actually just did an um, episode with Halicia Hubbard, and we talked a little while about, um, unless I edited it out, I don't think I did. <laughs> um, we did a little conversation about how, like, people teach you to be, to want to be liked and respected, and these yeah. are the different things you have to do to be liked, and at, when, at a certain point, it crosses a line, and when you're, like, at a certain age... If people ask those things from you, you should not give them. Yeah. You know, but like teaching children that you have to do certain things because an adult is telling you to, it's like, it really gets blurry. Yeah. Well, and to think about all these kids who are being raised by these authority figures who are not just, I mean, when I think of a nun too, I think like she's not just an authority figure because she's an adult. Um, or even because she is in some way supposed to be sort of a mother figure, but she's also a, a religious figure. Mm-hmm. Like, she's supposed to adhere, we should have higher standards, you know? Like, mm-hmm. and to, to have a kid be confused by, like, well, am I not being a good Catholic if I don't do what this nun is saying and, and losing their culture? All of those those mm-hmm. repercussions yeah. because of the figure. Yeah. 
all the power in 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 saying like because a nun is a agent of God, and if yeah. it, and if your nun tells you, and a kid can't separate out. Okay, well, yes, she's a religious person, but she's also a human, so she's flawed, and mm-hmm. you know, like I. they can't separate that out. I mean, it's hard for me to separate that out. Yeah. You know? It's hard for me to always remember to, like, allow people to be flawed. Like, how can you... Yes. Oh, my goodness. It also just reminds me, like, when you think about how thoroughly these kids are, like, Mary, for example, being taken from her parents, put into this place where she has nothing, and not only did her dad just die, which is, like, a horrible thing to have to go through at any age... Her dad dies. Her mom's sent across the state in a wagon by herself with her little brother, I guess, who I think was probably a baby. And so she's stripped of everything and she's given people that aren't nice to her, you know? And so when you know that a whole generation of Native people that happened to this whole generation and then people are like, I mean, right? But they're growing up in this environment, um, they had no choice. Mm-hmm. Now they find themselves, you know, with with these strangers who are supposed to be their parent figures, and they're harsh. Yeah, and it's harsh. hard. But also at the same time, the the sisters were very, they were also very kind. You know, so it's it's exactly what I was saying earlier. It's it's a really good example of how people with the best intentions can do things that are not good. Yeah. Because, obvi- like, sister or mother Amadeus, nothing bad is said about her. Like, she is, like, a very kind woman, yeah. you know? And um, Mary Wells had a couple, like, close. There was one in particular woman who she was really close with and followed around a lot. Um, another Another nun. And obviously they were really kind, you know? So it's not like they were, there's this hellhole necessarily for everybody, um, but just the fact that it exists and the fact that she was there is basically the, the issue. Yeah. yeah. The fact that they were trying to, you know, <laughs> take away the their culture and replace it with a different culture, even though it was, as you said, well-intentioned, and I'm sure that they did it with love they just didn't realize that taking someone's culture from them or trying to is so so damaging yeah and damaging every time you do that to a single person you're damaging a whole group of people yep and that's we know that now you know but it's still still a thing um anyway so there's some some little details about her life um uh, as she's growing up in the mission, it's really well chronicled because there's a couple books. There's a book written by one of the nuns about the uh, missions of Montana and like different things like that. So there's a lot of really well chronicled um, just happenings that are kind of like interesting to read through, but not that interesting to report. You know, like <laughs> this little girl died of this weird disease I've never heard of, and like you know, so and so officiated the funeral. That's probably not the word, but. <laughs> And then you officiate funerals. Um, oh, there's some like there's a couple things though that are just kind of like more further examples of um, how hard it would be at the mission. Um, for example, when they built the new they built the new mission when I think Maggie was like 
nine or something. Um, in 87, on July 7th, 1887, they, um, built a new convent and there is a, a plaque placed there to list all of the original students and it just lists the white students. Mm. Um, yeah. And then at the bottom it says, uh, Indians, 1885 to 1886, 15 boys, 14 girls. And then, you know, so Mary sees that and she's like. She can humanizing. Yeah, exactly. She she can see that and she can know what that means. Um, especially confusing also because of her first year at the school she was treated like a white student. Right. She you know? should have been on that plaque. I mean, she should have anyway, but Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that just would be very confusing for her, for sure. Um and there's some like you know, like I said, he took <laughs> liberties with the dialogue there's some like lame dialogue between um mary and miss fields about like how it feels to be a black person and um comparing that to being native american Mm, and that's fascinating yeah yeah i love it i mean it's obviously like not true dialogue but it is a true sentiment i'm sure they talked about that you know um and then event a pretty like soon after that, Mary's older brother Leroy was sliding down a um a haystack and got stabbed by a pitchfork. Ah <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Tragedy strikes. <laughs> Tragedy strikes again. Yeah. <laughs> over and over and over again. Um and so he was really young and like as he lay dying, it was this apparently according to the book, the sisters were like, It's in God's hands and Mary was like, Why don't we call a medicine man? And it was just this like struggle of inside of her where she was oh. like, Why aren't we taking care of this kid? you know, and um and then Mary Fields blessed the body in like her tradition oh. and like um which I thought was really cool too. Like what a cultural haven, <laughs> I guess, or something. Um another little melting pot. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, okay, so around this time, um, the convent hired Joseph Gump to, to the scene, uh, to be like a, I don't know, like a a foreman or something. He just basically work, work on the grounds. And he was 22 and he was from Germany and, um, Mary was 14 at this time. So, Mary's 14, Joseph is 22, and Miss Fields is, like, really good buddies with Joseph. And she's like, you should marry Mary Wells. And (laughs) (laughs) Joseph's like... Matchmaker, matchmaker. Yeah, exactly. And um, Joseph's like, I'm way too old for her. But Mary Fields uh, uh, persisted, I guess. Um, And there's lots of, like, fun little, like, stories between the two of them. Um... So there's this one story, this, I wouldn't say this is a fun story, this is actually kind of a bummer of a story, yet again, um, but there's a story here about, um, there's a new coal furnace at the, at the mission, and, um, the farmhands told Mary that she should shovel it because she's black and it wouldn't show on her, the coal dust wouldn't show on her. So Joseph punched him and fired him. <laughs> nice. Yeah, right? Okay, I like this Joseph. Mm-hmm. I know, he seems like a really good dude. And the thing is, is he is the primary source. Like, he's the one that gave the information. So, I mean, unless he was lying, that actually happened, which is pretty cool. 
Um, and then there's some dialogue. Joseph, you are a wonderful, wonderful person, but I can t- take care of myself. And you have trouble killing a chicken. <laughs> I'm more manly than you are. I can kill a chicken. Yes. I know. This guy, this author, I hope that he listens to this someday. Because it's like endearing. It's very sweet um, dialogue. I can, um, though, from the from the little that I know of Mary Fields, see her <laughs> saying that she could take care of herself. Yes, I think so, too. Oh, my gosh. She's so cute. Um, and I think at this point she had, like, abandoned her petty, her, like, um, not petticoats, but um, her dresses and stuff and was wearing buckskin. Um, and for the rest of the book, she's always described as wearing buckskin, which is very cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, also around this time... Um, Mary and Emma, her little sister, would they started spending their summers at the Powers house as maids, basically. So it went from the Powers being their benefactors who were supposed to keep them safe in Fort Benton with their mom to now they're the maids. Um, right. Yeah. It's like a little princess. <laughs> it's like a little princess. It's so much like a little princess. I think that I've been like this whole time being like, this reminds me of something. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually what it does remind me of. Picturing like Shirley Temple shoveling coal in the <laughs> yeah. fireplaces. This is such a like common the problem with those both those stories is that those girls are white. You yeah. know? This is like this is a whole nother level of like difficulty and cultural yeah. Um uh, and then it's also, the other thing that they have as a primary source for this book is all the letters written back and forth. Those are all mm. saved, and they're in a museum in Helena. Cool. Yeah, so they have the letters where Mary is writing the powers and being like, can I visit my mom? And they say, oh. absolutely not. Like, over and over and over again. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and then, and then Mary writes her and writes the powers and says, you know, what happened to all of our money? We had all this money yeah. and like, what happened to it? And Mr. Powers <laughs> says, all the cattle died in 1886. And Mary's like, just my dad's cattle? And he's like, yeah, just your dad's cattle. So, <laughs> yeah. Our cattle was fine. Yeah, exactly. So all the money that I've been supporting you with have, has been my own money. Yeah. Um, right. But at the same time as doing that, the powers are also, like, giving... They, like, gave her a birthday party with and gave her, like, a nice dress and stuff. So it's just further, like I said, or like we've been talking about, this, like, well-intentioned assimilation, you know, yeah. of, no, you can't see your mom, no, you can't have your dad's money, you don't deserve it, you're, uh, you know, you're a half-breed or whatever. I hate... I don't want to say those words again. Um, and, but then being like, but here's a nice party dress. Yeah. You know, um, look what good care I'm taking of this person who doesn't even really deserve it. That makes me extra special because they don't deserve it. So, you know, and then also eventually, um, Mary's older brother, I think his name was William, um, became an accountant with, for the powers too. So he like, cool. Yeah, exactly. He's like, doing some things that you make you be like, okay, Mr. Powers, and then more things make you be like, you're awful, Mr. Powers. He's also, the like, um, one of the first two senators of Montana. Oh, wow. T.C. Powers was. That's important. I should have said that earlier. 
<laughs> I felt like I had heard that name before, yeah. so that helps. That makes me feel better. Yeah, I'm not crazy. Yeah, no, you're definitely not crazy. I mean, I think that he's... I've definitely heard of him, too. I think my dad actually read a book about him recently and was telling me about him. Um, so, let's see here. Oh, there's some crazy stories just to touch on about um, the nuns. One time... Uh, they were going, they were crossing a river. I've heard, I've read conflicting stories about this, but they were crossing a river on a stagecoach and the ice broke and the driver passed out and sister, or mother Amadeus and all the other sisters were just still in it, like chest deep in ice cold water. And (laughs) yeah. And mother Amadeus was like, go get help. And the guy had to like go and, like, run to get help at this farm, and the nuns just sat in the water. I don't know. Bizarre. Doesn't that seem... Were the doors somehow stuck? Honestly, like, who knows? All these stories of history, man. I've never been that interested in history until making this podcast. Or, like, I've been interested but not actually gone out and done the research myself. And the more you read, the more you're like, how do we know this happened? How is this true? Are we sure this is true? But I read it in multiple places. Just the conflicting part was, like, where they were in the state. Gotcha. But, yeah. I don't know. I think the story is meant to make you feel like the nuns were badasses. I should think they were. I think they were. They did have to, you know, come to barren, cold Montana and... Make a mission from scratch. Many, yeah. many missions. Yeah. And they did. Uh-huh. That's pretty bad. It also speaks to their... They they must have had, like, loving good intentions to put themselves through all of that. Yeah. To, like, give to other people. Even if they were so misled by their culture and whatever. Mm. Like, their their motivation had to be good to, yeah. to go through all that. Mm. And the... the um... The little chapter on Mother Amadeus that I read described her as this, like, extremely sweet, funny, you know, fun, tiny woman. And she, like, had health problems her whole life. Um, like, over and over and over again. And I think there was some problem where she couldn't eat a lot of foods. So she basically just had, like, bread. Like, that's, like, all she subsisted Ugh. on. And she, um, like, fell and broke a, her hip. And so she had these health problems her whole life. Um, but still is able to start these eight missions in Montana and then also move on to Alaska and start missions up in Alaska and then another one in Washington, at least one in Washington. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I know. And that's why I get so confused because it does. It's like, that's amazing. And at the same time, I'm like, I wish they'd never come. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Like, it's just so confusing. Well, I just wish they hadn't been confused because what a cool partnership it would have been had they come with all their stamina and good intentions and then not done the assimilation part of it. Right. Just been around. Just been like, hey, cool, we're here to help. Us and too, I'll man. teach you what you want and, you know, yeah. you teach me what you want. Yeah, because, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, they were doing just fine before we showed up until we came and, like, screwed everything up, basically, you know. Yeah. But, uh, make, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> because we screwed it up, then it was like, I guess we should help fix this. But by fixing it, we're going to screw it up more or something. Um, but Maggie, Mary's mom, she, like we said, she was Catholic. And she had been educated at Fort Benton. 
and gotten a good education there, but then was still a part of her own culture. So there was a period of time before the assimilation, you know, where these kids could still get educated and not have to leave their culture behind. Yeah. You know, and I would like to learn more about that period too, because apparently that happened. You know, she was Catholic. She was educated. She was still living with her, with her father's family when James met her. So yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so let's keep going. There's not a whole lot of, like, interesting details left. Um, but Joseph basically... Joseph and Mary got married. Um, and they moved... The first... the She said, like, I the first thing I want to do when we get married is go find my mom. I haven't seen her since yeah. I was six years old. And I think that Mary was 18 when they got married. 18 or 19. Okay. Um, so... They go up to the Grovant Reservation, um, or sorry, Fort Belknap Reservation, and they are met, like, they go there a couple times throughout the next few years, and it kind of goes back and forth on whether or not it's, like, a positive experience or not. I think the first time it was not a positive experience, and they find out that Mary's mom had died, like, six months earlier. Oh. Yeah. Oh, like she had like just missed her, and it was really hard for her because when her when her brother died, when William died because of that pitchfork, she was like, "Can someone tell my mom?" Yeah, and then so she like she knew a guy, a priest who was up in the on um, Fort Belknap, and was tell him like, "If you see my mom, tell her that her son died and that she can yeah. come for the funeral," but she never came, and so it was just this whole thing of like trying to communicate with her but never being able yeah. to catch her. Um, so she found out that her, her mom had died and her little brother had died, um, fairly recently, I think. And she, she found the, the gravestone, the grave sites. Um, and she also found out that her, her mom had remarried and they had kids, but she couldn't find out where they were either. And they had maybe apparently moved to Spokane, but she like couldn't find any information. Yeah, and it was this this period of the American government being, like, totally unsure of how to handle all this stuff. Yeah. So, um, Mary wasn't, like, a registered Grovant, right? And she also wasn't a white person. So she, like, had no standing as a citizen. She was an American, she was not an American citizen. Wow, and she was also bizarre. Yeah, and she was not a member of the tribe. So she just had no idea, like, who or what she was, you know. Um, It's so weird that there is that connection between, like, what our government would label us as Mm -hmm. and how we feel about ourselves and our identity. Like, we would love for that to not matter, but it kind of does. Yeah. Even when the label's wrong. Like, Mm -hmm. it just having some standing as as I keep wanting to say as a citizen, but it's not even that, like, you know. Well, she couldn't own property. Yeah. You know, she could, I, she couldn't own property and she couldn't like, there was no record of her. That's so crazy. Yeah. Um, so she's looking, she goes to the reservation to look at the papers like over and over again for the rest of her life. And at one point she meets, a woman that was, like, there for her birth. So she gets to, like, meet this person and kind of reconnect, and it's this amazing experience. She has another experience similar to that in Fort Benton with a man who um, 
ran a restaurant there and like immediately recognized her and took her in and they like had dinner. I think that was like the day after she got married to, um, Joseph, to Joseph. Yeah. Thanks. Um, they went to Fort Benton and it was this like amazing experience where she got to see this guy that she had known when she was a little girl. Would her standing have changed at all when she got married then though? Cause she, then she's at least the wife of someone. That's true. But he wasn't an American citizen. I don't think. Okay. Because he was German. Right. But I'm not positive about that. That's a good point. And I wonder, I don't even know how, like, citizenship worked then. Do you, yeah, do, I you like, no apply idea. as a German to I know. A, I mean, at that point, literally, like, <laughs> every white person was, like, a newbie. Yeah. You know? So, especially in this part of the country. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, what, what at what point were you a citizen? And also, everything was so slow. You know? I mean, like... Right. I don't, and I don't see as much, like, bureaucracy, like, documentation of things. Yeah, except for papers just, like, getting lost in, like, the Pony <laughs> Express or whatever. Yes. Like, oh my gosh, that reminds me huh. that when I was listening to the thing on Mary Fields, it was so interesting to me, and I had to then, you know, Google and whatnot, and I read something that said that the, the, she was running mail and you had said not for USPS, and it was... Wells Fargo. What? Yeah. Really? I mean, who knows? I I did not fully vet this source, okay? But right. I they have the little stagecoach and everything. Like I know they've been around yeah. for a long time and I was like, "Oh my gosh, is, that is it Wells really cuz that's so cool. It's super cool." I kind of hope it's true just because Yeah. I don't know, it was connection to modernity. I know. Except for I'm totally like dropping Wells Fargo as soon as I can. <laughs> I'm not saying you have to have them as a bank. I just think it's cool. No, that is actually really cool. Just in case. Well, I think it's, I mean, it it reminds me, again, of you saying your mom visited the sick. Mm -hmm. Reminds me again of these, these nuns and their missions and that, like, you know, the Catholic Church has done a lot of things wrong, but they're really good at service. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, biggest um, non-profit or biggest charity in the world, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and the more I, um, the more I learn. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised now, but I'm constantly just hearing random little tidbits about like, oh yeah, and these monks are saving Islamic te- texts and whatever, and I'm like, yeah, they're really they're good at that. <laughs> That's <laughs> just, nice, and you know, like yeah, giving health aid and whatever, and so like they. I, I feel bad that there was this period where their good intentions went so awry, but mm. um, I'm glad that they were good people and that, you know, yeah, they were at least not, like, awful people that poor Mary landed with. Yeah, and it was actually through Mother Amadeus that Mary got married. Mary Aww. got married. Because um, she, like, Joseph went to the... Um, Mother Superior and said, I want to marry Mary Wells. And, like, so then Mother yeah. Superior brought her in and told her, and it was, like, through her that they even got to, like, hang out. Oh, you wow. Know? And then they had the wedding, and, um, actually Mary Fields acted as her mother oh. for the wedding. And she had been fired at that point because she shot a guy. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Mary. <laughs> yeah. So Joseph was, like, no, Joseph wasn't there for that. No, let me think. Joseph was there for that. Um, but Mary, he said something really racist to her. 
And so Mary shot him. Mary, like, challenged him to a duel. Wait. And... This okay, this other guy, not Joseph. No, not I was Joseph. Like, Sorry, but he's no, but he's like a good guy. guy. <laughs> we like him. <laughs> no, this other dude um, was at the mission and said something racist to Mary because she was the boss, so she was like being bossy, and yeah. he was like, "I'm not gonna listen to no racist stuff." And um, so she challenged him to a duel and was a sharpshooter, like was a quick draw or whatever, yeah. and shot him and. Joseph, um, I think was there and said, you know, that's fine with me. It was a good shoot. Yeah, basically. I mean, (laughs) things were different back then. But then that was when the bishop was like, Mary's gotta go. Um, but then the mission still took care of her, you know, hooked her up with that job and stuff like that. So We can't officially endorse this person because she has a serious violence streak. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I wonder what it would be even be like to exist in a time when... And that's a whole nother tangent. Um, but when killing someone Duels was an answer to a problem. Thing. Yeah. You know, or it's just like, oh yeah, so we killed him. Yeah. <laughs> when I watch these old westerns and it's like, yeah, you like said something mean to me at a bar. So we mm-hmm. stepped out and one of us died. Yes, exactly. How is <laughs> Well, I'm reading this amazing book right now called Ghetto Side. And mm. it's about, um, well, this is again, like I said, a whole nother ch- talent tangent. But it's about the rate of murders of black people in the 80s and 90s Mm. and how few of them were prosecuted or even followed up on, even, like, investigated at all. And, um, but the thing is, is when there's, you can track, like, when there's, um, less government basically or less enforcement of any sort of law Mm -hmm. um people just kind of take over take it into their own hands yeah and it very quickly becomes like life or death situations and you can see that in the wild west and just basically in any any fringe of society right yeah um it's a really good book i recommend it okay yeah (laughs) ghetto side it's awesome um okay anyway i should probably start wrapping this up so uh, Mary Fields marries Joseph Gump. They move up to Haver, Montana, which is kind of... They have a child named Forrest. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's that. <laughs> End of the story. <laughs> they move up to Haver. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, do you know where Haver is? Um, sort of. It's on the High Line. It's um, right. really close to where I grew okay. up. So, let's see. Listener, we are now looking at a map of Montana, and I'm going way <laughs> north. <laughs> um, because that's where Haver is, um, right there. Yeah. So, it's like, it's actually super central. I didn't realize how central it is. I can see is. Canada from my... <laughs> yeah, seriously, it's like a hundred, a hundred miles or something. Um, so it's actually very central, uh, but really north Montana, and then it's about three hours to, or two and a half hours to where I grew up in Glasgow, over here. Um, so it's kind of, I didn't realize that we we're gonna follow Mary all the way to the High Line, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Mary gets, Mary and Joseph land in Haver. They start a a pig farm and Joseph becomes this like entrepreneur and makes sausage. And they have this like whole business where they do a really, like are really successful with this like hog farm. That's so awesome. Yeah. And Mary, um, pretends that she's French. Like, she does not tell anybody that she's Native American. Wow. Yeah, so she's basically living, like, 
you know, it sucks because she remembers living, staying in the teepees in the summer, you know, but she just, if anyone asks about her, like, color, she says that she's, you know, it's the French in my family or whatever, um, um, but then she'll still periodically go back to the reservation and try to find more information about her family, um, so she's in Haver, and then basically the book kind of turns into, like, a, and this is what is the history of my family, so it's just basically about her, um, moving to Spokane eventually because she has health problems. Um, and like I said earlier, the doctor's like, you need to move where it's drier. <laughs> Spokane? Spokane. Drier no. than Haver, Montana? Come on. No. That's ridiculous. Be. Yeah. It's really, really <laughs> silly to me. But, um, so she moves to Haver, or sorry, she, they moved to Spokane eventually and, um, have like six kids or something. And, uh, she has a ton of kids and the doctors keep being like, stop having kids. And she's like, I can't. And it keeps having kids. And, um, and they her little sister, Emma actually joined them and have her and moves Aww. to Spokane with her as well. So she's with her sister like the whole time. Um, oh, yeah, which is really sweet. Um, and when they get to Spokane, Emma, this really weird story where Joseph looks up other gumps and finds another gump hmm. in the town and invites him over what for dinner. Are the I know. <laughs> and they invite him over for dinner and he falls in love with Emma. And Emma marries no. this other gump guy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. This is like a reality show. I know. It's amazing. Um and then so they're living in Spokane, they have this other house, blah blah blah. Um, Mary has all these kids and um they, they're really interesting. I mean, it's not that interesting from a historical perspective, but I recommend reading the book because just, I like, it's like eavesdropping, you know, it's like, it's like totally at this point, they're a totally, um, American family, you know, and just kind of like learning about their like intricate family details, like Mm -hmm. which kid was perceived to be like, um, the black sheep. Basically. (laughs) Yeah. There's this one, the one that I think I can't remember his name now. But one of her sons um, had this calling to just leave all the time. And they would be like, it's, it's like, the Native American in him. This is kind of oh, what she was thinking. wanderer. Yeah, just, what, I, whatever yeah. that means. I don't know. But um, that's kind of what they were, like, would say about it. But he, when he was 10 years old, he left for six weeks. And then oh. came back. What? Yeah. That's not normal. No, it's not normal. It happened a couple times. Six weeks at yeah. ten? Yes. Mm-hmm. It, like, it happened, I think it happened at least two or three times where he'd be gone for a month or more, way more. And wow. he was like, yeah, you know, I just wanted to leave, so I did. And then I was in Salt Lake City and was just like, yeah, I guess I'll come back. And then wow. went back. Yeah. Um, what hardy people. I know. I don't think I could have survived for six weeks as a 10-year-old. Oh, my God. Absolutely <laughs> not. I was, like, too busy reading to do anything else. <laughs> um, after they're in Spokane, um, Joseph becomes, like, a fire um, a fire marshal. He works at the fire department, um, and their house burns down, and Mary was, like, a really good artist, and so she had all these Wait, paintings he from... he was the fire marshal and their house burned down? Yeah, because he was, like... He was actually on shift, but, like, they were, like, across town, and so the house burned down, and he, like, couldn't save it, and it was obviously really sad. And it says in the book that he, it sounded like he cried talking about that, 
because of all of Mary's paintings from when she was oh. at the mission getting burned up. Yeah. And also all the home handmade furniture oh. that they had made when they were living in Haver and um, basic family heirloom stuff, you know. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it was Merlin. Merlin's the one who... Um, wanders. Wanders, yeah. <laughs> Mary only had three kids, I think. It was her daughter, Marguerite, who had... Oh, six all kids, the kids. Or many kids. Yeah, so then what ended up happening was Mary and her daughter, Marguerite, became really, really, really close, and Mary yeah. basically was, like, second mom to all of her kids, gotcha. and, like, worked herself, like, over time being grandma, and the two of them were inseparable, and they ended up moving, everyone moved down to California, and, um... Wow. Were this, like... A lot of moving over, like, yes. time when travel was not that easy. I know. And also, can you imagine, she, because her daughter, they were so close forever, and her daughter um, lived in, like, a neighboring town in California. I don't know exactly which ones. And so Mary would go back and forth to help take care of the kids. And it's like, when she was a little girl, she was in a wagon, a horse-drawn wagon, yeah. You know, and then by the time she's living in California being grandma, is she in a car? Like, how is she getting around? Can you imagine no. being, that being the span of your lifetime? No. No. <laughs> I know. We're going to see some crazy stuff, but, like, That's even, true. like, our parents having the kinds mm-hmm. of TVs that they had. Well, or even, I mean, the internet was not really a thing that people had access to when I was little. Yeah, no, me too. And that's crazy, especially talking to my students and yeah, and they have no concept of life before that. And I'm like, you had to look it up in the phone book and you had to call the pool to find out what hours they were open, okay? Yes. I know, I know. So Mary died on June 22nd, 1937. Um, and... Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think of pneumonia. She had pneumonia. She had lung problems her whole life where she would always go back, uh, have to go back to the hospital. Um, So, but then the kind of interesting things about her family I want to mention. So, Merlin died a young man on one of his wandering trips in Salt Lake City. What was his life like, I wonder? Yeah. Oh my God. That would be a fascinating story. Nobody knows. Yeah. There's probably not a single soul who knows anything, you know, more detail about Merlin. Okay, so Leo was Mary's other son, and he married Edna Hayes, and they, um, he was a design engineer for uh, Hauserman Enterprises in the Philippines in 1934, and um, Edna was taken prisoner by the Japanese and placed in Santo Tomas in '42. And Leo was taken prisoner in the southern part of the Philippines and later moved back to Manila. And when um, the Japanese commander uh, declared Manila an open city, um, basically uh, they killed 100,000 people, including Leo, Whoa. in, in uh, Manila. Which, to me... Like, 100,000 people died, you know? It's not like he was, like, singled out by this government. But, like, Mary Wells, born... Yeah. <laughs> Grovant to uh, James Wells in 1880 or whatever, and then her son dies in the Philippines from the Japanese. 
Like, that stretch, that, like, span of history is mind-boggling to me. And I feel like I'm putting together pieces that didn't quite fit together before. Like, I'm sitting here going, yeah, well, and World War II is right around the corner. Like, yeah. what? Yeah. I know. And I have to connect this to Mary Can Wells. You? I know. In Montana and assimilation and... There's so many little pieces, and I think, I think that we were, I, I should speak for myself, but I think that I was kind of gypped of history education, you know, and I am not blaming Miss Jones, my amazing history teacher in high school, because <laughs> she did her best, and she's awesome, but like, um, just the fact that you're supposed to learn world history in a, in a yeah, school year, right? you know, yeah. it's like, okay, we're going to talk about the Egyptians today and the Holocaust tomorrow, like... What in the world, you know? I think some of that comes from not letting kids just explore when they are Mm -hmm. fascinated by something. Just handing them books, you know? Yeah, books, books everywhere, and just pick it up. And I got really obsessed with um, escape stories, Nazi escape stories. Escape from... uh, either POW camps or concentration and I just yeah. like got all the books I could get my little hands on and um I don't know I, I feel like that needs to happen more yeah I so mean I wonder get that history I feel bad because I think it's it's really easy and like being teachers we kind of do see that you <laughs> yeah. know yeah but, we're we're a little spoiled <laughs> yeah but like it's really easy to say you know all things like aren't like they used to be and Oh, you know? yeah. No, I don't want to quite go So there. it's not... I don't really know what the kids are reading, you know? Like, I go to school libraries kind of often, and I see all these books, and I get really excited, and I'm like, oh, my God. You know, they're still reading this stuff. That's amazing. Um, how often they're picking it up, I don't know. But also, they have the internet, so maybe they are learning in different ways. You no, know, for like, sure. I just don't... I don't know. I don't know um, how that... Edu- I, I think really what it is is the problem is, like... The standards. Yeah. Absolutely. Making it impossible for you to spend the time that you need on the Mm. things that you know will excite your class. Mm -hmm. And also not being, not being able to kind of spend more time on like the philosophy of history rather than just like Egyptians. It Ah! happened. The end. Yeah. It happened. Exactly. Because like you said, when we're looking at Mary Wells and we're looking at the world wars and, you know, TC Power and all these other things that are happening at the same time, and you kind of, like, you learn about them all separately and then you kind of chunk them together like a yeah. puzzle. And it's like, how did I not see this before, you know? But yeah. I think that that is not, that's kind of the, the issue, is yeah. that we're not teaching it in a way that is multifaceted. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to have this idea when I was like, I don't know how old I was, um, had this idea to like, write a book that was like, uh, the history of the world, but it was like the art history on one line and then like oh. w- war and on a different line, you know, so you can I see. I have seen, I mean, they're, they're not, uh, they're kind of timetables, yeah. like long stretches. Exactly. More like a timetable, yeah. With, um, you know, here was, here's what was going on, um, in, uh, you know, geography, like how the world was changing and here's yes. how art was changing and whatever. And it was at like the, the, the front of 
an encyclopedia or something. Mm-hmm. You know, one of these, and yeah. it was just pages and pages and pages of See, I would love to have history. one of those, like, because um, I'm a really, I'm such a visual person. If it's, like, in a book, I forget that it exists. It has to be, like, right. on the wall, you know, yeah. and, like, so I can, like, see it. Um, but I, like, want to hang something like that up because I just feel like I need to just kind of absorb that information more thoroughly, you know? Yeah. Because what I learned about the different art movements and, like, how modernism related to the loss of religion, you know, and how, like, and how modernism in art is related to modernism in literature and is related to the different wars and all that's, like, it's, it's, like, so exciting because you understand the people that existed at that time so much better instead of them just being, like, a photograph and a date it's like oh if I think about the fact that people were writing in this fashion because they no longer believed in a god because of these atrocities of war yeah then I can understand this person better yeah well and you know understanding okay well this is this is what kind of medicine they had available and this is Mm -hmm. what kind of you know um the cottage industry and just all these different things like to know those in concert with mm-hmm. their um, their art and their mm-hmm. um, politics yeah. and all politics of that sure. makes so much sense. I love listening, or I love learning about, um, in this philosophy, I took a, one philosophy class in college, and, you know, intro to philosophy or whatever, <laughs> but it was like, it's so cool to think about the idea of um, the way that we the way that we understand everything was basically orchestrated by these men who were, like, the thinkers of the time. Yeah. You know, they kind of, like, like, this is how we think now, you know? Yeah. And then in, like, the fifth, or, like, in, like, the, maybe, say, maybe, like, the 20s, there was, like, women all of a sudden <laughs> were, like, yeah. this is how we think. And then it was this, like, my, this, like, like huge game changer of, a different way of thinking about the world, you know? And it's, like, that happened in the last hundred years, you know? Of, like, maybe not everything is, like, cold, calculated, hard facts. Maybe we can consider emotion. What? You know? And (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) just thinking about that happening then and then thinking, okay, so that's, like, our version of, like, a a shift of thought um, or just one one example of that happening recently and then you think about, like, when people thought the world was flat. Yeah. You know? And, like, how crazy it would be for someone to tell you that it wasn't. And didn't they put him to death? Wasn't that Socrates or something? Well, and... <laughs> they, like, kill people because of the thoughts they have. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of very interesting practices. I Now I'm thinking of... There was some priest. I'm getting back to this, like, hey... <laughs> Uh, priests and monks and nuns did cool stuff. Um, there was a priest who came up with something, it might have been, like, that Einstein later coined or something, um, I can't remember, and so you can definitely edit this out. I just, oh, it made me think of, yeah, that so often people think of, like, science and religion as being at odds when so much of the scientific thinking actually came from religious and yet Mm -hmm. sometimes was suppressed by other religious (laughs) friends. Yeah. 
I mean, I it's mean, all about... Actually, last night I was researching nihilism. And because I had a, I had a totally misunderstanding of what that was. Turns out, um, and so the, like nihilism is like basically the idea that life has no meaning. Yeah. And then it was this thing I was reading was talking about like religion as the basic reaction to nihilism. You know, religion gives you meaning, but then also like. There's non-secular reactions to nihilism, uh, which are like politics and probably science and other things that give you meaning. And yeah. then it just kind of, when you think about it that way, it all brings you back to like, we're all just looking for meaning in life. Yep. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, yeah. like, I'd, like finding this like overarching theme to make us have meaning and then like applying it to everything we have. <sighs> yeah. And that's Mary Wells for you. <laughs> yeah. What is the meaning of your life, Mary Wells? What is the meaning of your life? <laughs> well, I think the meaning of Mary Wells' life was to be a really good mother. Yeah. That was what ended up kind of being a thing for her. She just really, she didn't get to have her mom. She had Mary Fields, um, who was a really good mother to her. But in the end, she just really wanted to be a mom. So she, like, was a great mom, and then she was a really good grandma, which is really cool. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, and that makes history more than, I think, some of the other marks. Like, even when um, politics gets me upset, I think about how I created a family when I married Troy and Mm -hmm. I'm going to have kids someday and raising them as happy, good humans is more important and will have more impact on the world than if I were some politician banging my head against the wall because I couldn't get anything done anyway. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. It also often, I mean, that's what Matt and I were talking about last night. We're like, talking about nihilism and it was like well what is the purpose like what what's your purpose actually we said that to each other what's your purpose you know and it's like community helping each other creating good in the world that's all you can do and that's what I was taught to do you know it's like at the very basic level it's just I I was actually brings us back kind of to the prayer thing I was thinking today about the um Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit yeah. the earth. You know, like all that the stuff. Attitudes. Yeah, exactly. And like, the the teaching is, you know, be humble, be good, take care of each other, be right, and you will do well. And I do. I get so upset about politics lately. But if you can bring it back to that, you know, then you're gonna be okay. I guess. Yeah. And we can take care of each other. Um, you know, no mm-hmm. matter what goes down. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And it's, I mean, yeah, it's, that's easy. It's easy for us to say we're going to be fine, <laughs> you know. But, like, I mean, it's true, though. I mean, Mary Wells started out, she had such a tough lot of life. And it really sucks that she wasn't able to grow up in her own culture and be a good person that was able to contribute to that culture, you know. Like, that. Yeah. They that really sucks that she wasn't able to be that for for her people um but she was able to be awesome in general you yeah. know and be a good person that brought good into the world so that's good 
it is a hopeful story. Yeah. I like, I like it. Okay, that was me and Ellen Smith talking about Mary Wells. I hope you learned something. I hope that you enjoyed yourself. Um, Thanks so much for listening. And the music, as always, is by Dorothy, a project by Marshall Granger. Mm -hmm.